From the Gospel of Luke, after his baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning. If I um, sound a little rough, it's because we were all knocked out with that cold that's been going around earlier this week. Uh, But not to worry, I handled it like a man, which if you ask any woman in here means that I whined more than both of my kids combined. I was really a baby about it, Uh, but here we are. Um, Having a cold is actually a fairly appropriate start to Lent, because Lent is the church season where we confront our own frailties and the suffering of this world, and we find the strength to overcome it. It's a very intentional church season for us to uh, face the realities of the world and to move through them by the power of God. And it's really interesting to me because I think Lent has changed somewhere along the way for most people. Lent has almost become the time that you can, you know, get back on that diet and get in shape because you've got the guilt and obligation of the 40 days hanging over you, right? It's kind of the, the, become the season where all of your New Year's resolutions, which you all dropped by now, it's been three months, um, you know, where it's like, well, maybe I can give that a second go this year and see if I can take that on. But historically, Lent has actually been a lot more than that. Historically, Christians would engage daily in intensive prayer, intensive fasting, and giving, and giving alms until it hurt. Historically, New converts called catechumens would be training during this period in preparation for baptism, training to embrace, and I don't want you to miss this, training to embrace the life of suffering that all Christians are called to. How's that for a uh, seeker-friendly uh, Disney church sermon? Uh, but, but, but it's the truth. It's the truth. As Christians, that's what we're called to do. It's no accident that the same Jesus who said, follow me, went to the cross. And when He told you to pick up your cross daily, He didn't just mean, to, if you're a man, to get a cross tattooed somewhere on yourself, or if you're a lady, to wear, you know, a cross necklace as a sign of allegiance. Those aren't signs of allegiance. Those are calls to bear the burdens of this life in the same way that Jesus did, to acknowledge that life is difficult, life is very often suffering. And to, and to live a meaningful and purposeful life is to bear the burden of responsibility of your choices and of the world that we live in on your shoulders. And as a Christian, you are to do that the same way that Jesus did, with absolute resolve and with full reliance on the Father. And I don't, I don't want us to miss this because… Uh, I'll make a crack at millennials because you'll all, you'll all enjoy that. I'm one of them, so I can take it. But there are so many, so many people of the current generation that are trying to maximize pleasure and avoid all pain in their lives. And that's their only path. That's, that's, that's the only way. That's their GPS. And it's fascinating. My two-year-old son has the exact same path and the exact same GPS. You know, I've, I've learned I can make Gabriel go wherever I want him to. All I have to do is place trails of candy so that he'll pursue pleasure or put really scary-looking dinosaurs in the way so he'll avoid fear, right? I mean, I could lead him around this room right now because he's so focused on uh, avoid, uh, pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain. But that's not how Christians are called to live, right? Christ has given us a narrow way, 
We have, a, we, we have a singular path that we ought to take, and that's full trust and reliance on the Father, and that's also absolute pursuit with integrity of what He's called us to pursue. See, what we learn from our passage in Luke, which we're about to get to, is that Jesus had a had single-mindedness and laser focus during His, during his ministry. There were moments where people would say, you know, Jesus, continue to heal our town, continue to heal our town. And he's like, you know what? I've got places I have to be. I have things that I have to do. And every step he took was one more step closer to Jerusalem and to the cross. He could not be deterred. Are you all hearing what I'm saying this morning? You all following me so far in this? Um, and so, as we, go to, as we turn to our text in Luke chapter 4, I want us to pay special attention to the fact that Jesus was fully resolute and fully reliant on the Father even as Satan tempts him with provision, with power, and with security. So turn with me to Luke chapter 4 uh, in your bulletins. Verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So I want to give you some very quick context about what's happening here. Otherwise, it won't make sense. Jesus, just before this, had experienced what was probably the high-water mark of His entire ministry. He was baptized in the Jordan. His ministry was inaugurated. A voice from heaven came down and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It was, it was a defining moment for Him, and it marked the beginning of His ministry. And immediately he was sent out to confront Satan in the wilderness. That, that's an interesting juxtaposition, and it seems counterintuitive. I mean, how many of you imagine that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, right, when you're walking the path that God has out in front of you, when you are uh, feeling near and close to God, that that means you're living a conflict-free life? that everything's going easy for you because you're close to God, that, you know, you're going to leave from here and you'll hit every green light on your way, right? You, you know, doors just open for you. You know, when you pick up the phone to call customer service, they pick up right away. You're never on hold, right? Life, life's, you know, when you're close to God, life's just supposed to be easy. Your, par- your, your kids appreciate everything that you do for them, and they're constantly telling you how much they appreciate everything. No, that's, that's not what it looks like. You know, first water, then desert. First, a voice, an affirming voice from heaven, and then an opposing voice from hell. Immediately, he was thrown into the desert, into difficulty and temptation. Christians who are telling you that following Christ means that you'll have an easy life are trying to sell you something. And you all know that because you're living it. So, Jesus' inaugural act of his ministry was to square off against the devil. Let's look at verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, that's kind of a bizarre temptation, right? If we step back for a second, make this stone bread. There's nothing sinful about bread. You all know that, right? I'm assuming most of you partake. Um, And surely God wouldn't want Jesus to starve, right? He was hungry. Surely there's nothing wrong with, you know, procuring a little bit of bread for yourself, and it's just this one small act this one time, right? Does that, does that voice of temptation sound familiar to you? It's just this small thing. Just do this one time. You know, God would want you to have it. 
God would want you to satisfy your desires. I mean, that's exactly how Satan works. And I'm sure that you have been faced with the exact same temptation. I'm going to admit this publicly. Um, here's a public confession of sin. Uh, when I was in high school, I took French, and I hated French. I'll just be honest with you. I wasn't good at it. The teacher used to make fun of my handwriting. She would literally take my papers in front of the entire class and say, see how bad his handwriting is? What a shame. You should clean this up, Mr. Gritter. It's a lot of fun. Um, Mrs. Deloach, you can look her up. Sorry. Um, so anyway, uh, that, that, that's, my, that's my payback. Um, that's, that's not actually her name. But anyway, she… Uh, but in French class, you know, I didn't care for the language. Um, it's beautiful, but I didn't get it. I didn't care for the teacher. And so final exam time came, right? And I was really tempted to take a shortcut and to try to provide for myself. So you know what I did? I thought I was so clever. We were supposed to translate this text from French into English, just this bare text. So I bought two copies, and on one of them, I already translated it the night before. And then I brought both of them into class, and every time she would walk by, I would just kind of, you know, flip which one was present on my desk. Now, don't judge me. You've all done something similar, right? You saw, I, I know you have, um, you saw something that you really wanted, and you just decided to take it. And you didn't do it God's way. You didn't rely on Him. You didn't rely on Him for your provision. You decided to seize it for yourself. And so, I want you to consider how difficult it is to rely on God and to rely on following God's ways. Have you found that to be hard? To abstain and to listen and follow the path of God with integrity? You see, all of the quotes that Jesus gives in this text are from Deuteronomy. And it's because the Israelites failed all of these tests, just like you and I did. You see, when the Israelites had to rely on God, you remember the whole manna thing, right? The Israelites were in the desert, and every day God would provide them with manna, and then God started providing them with meat, and they wanted to save it up and store it for themselves so they didn't have to rely on God anymore. You all remember this story? And then the manna went, I mean, then the meat went bad and made them all sick. And they got so frustrated at the very beginning with manna that they said that they would rather go back and enslave themselves to the Egyptians so they didn't have to rely on God's daily provision, because at least in Egypt they knew they were going to be fed, and they didn't have to trust or rely on God. Isn't that bizarre? But I want to ask you all, what is it that you're willing to enslave yourself to just to ensure your own provision? What are you willing to enslave yourself to? I know a lot of people who in the pursuit of financial security put their families through hell just to try to secure that provision and build them up for themselves. Uh, they were either absent or cantankerous because they were just trying to pursue something and didn't care about the consequences. And that's what Satan's always wanting to do. He's always tempting us to pursue what we would like without considering the consequences. But Jesus wasn't buying it. He had entrusted himself to his Father's care and what that meant that Jesus was resolved, and I, I don't want you to miss this, He was resolved to do nothing outside of the Father's will, nor use His power for His own ends. And He never did. John 5.19, the Son can do nothing of His own accord. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. That's Jesus. John 6.38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. Now, if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbles himself like that before the Father, what do you think you and I should be doing? Relying on the Father's provision and on the Father's path. 
Because if Jesus had tried to conjure up that bread for himself, it would have been a faithless act that would have divided him and his father. So Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Well, that didn't work. So Satan tries tack two, right? He tries a second temptation. Read with me, starting at verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Well, what's going on here? Satan is offering Jesus the crown without the cross. He is offering Jesus a chance to skip over that whole part of his life where he faced rejection by, his, uh, by the people he was trying to minister to, skip over the part of his life where he was betrayed by his closest friends, skip over the part of life that involved abject suffering and loneliness in order to gain quick access to power. You, know, you, don't, you don't need to go through the cross. Just Here's the crown. Just take it. To seize authority without earning it. Instant power and instant gratification, power and control with no sacrifice necessary. But it would have been no salvation for the rest of us either. And this is, this is the same temptation that you are faced with whenever you, to, whenever you desire to seize power and control by using Satan's tactics. And I want you to follow me on this. It's not very often that Satan gives you the chance to seize power over the world, right? Has, has that ever happened to you? Did he knock on your door and say, hey, by the way, you can be ruler of the world if you follow me? Probably not. But maybe he's tempted you to seize power over your household or seize power over your workplace, seize power over your social circles. There's many ways that Satan tempts us to follow his tactics, to worship him instead of God and following God and seize power. And if you don't believe that you've ever been tempted to seize power and control using Satan's means, I'm going to do a diagnostic test for you. You ready? I want you to consider these things. Have you ever used anger and intimidation to get your way? Ever? Anger and intimidation to get your way? None of you? Okay, that's good. Check that one off. All right, second try. Have you ever tried to use money as a way to affect policy decisions? You would be surprised how often we actually get this at the church. Well, I'm not going to give unless you do things the way I want you to do them. Well, that's, that's not a godly tactic. Would you all agree? That's coercion. Don't do that. Have you ever unfairly invoked your relationship as, but I'm your husband, but I'm your wife, but I'm your friend, but I'm your neighbor? I'm your child, in order to obligate someone to support you or help you, to manipulate somebody, to seize power and coerce them. You ever experienced that? Or how about this one? Have you ever played the victim to garner sympathy and support, tried to use guilt to manipulate people and coerce them? Anybody? We got a holy room. I'm actually really impressed with you all. Congratulations. No, we, we've all done some, one or more of these things. I mean, the bottom line is, have you ever used fear, obligation, or guilt to manipulate others into doing your will, to seize coercive power? You see, it's really difficult to go through the process of compromise in relationships, right? To negotiate, to put others' needs before yourself instead of just trying to make your will known. But when you're doing that, you're playing right into the devil's hands. Well, Jesus isn't buying what Satan is selling. Look at verse 8. And Jesus answered him, 
It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So Satan gives it a third and final attempt, right? Three trials, three temptations. Look at verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, I started doing youth ministry about ten years ago. Uh, at my former parish. And when I started, I had a really good friend of mine who was an aspiring musician volunteer to come and help me uh, lead worship for the students every week. And uh, my friend, um, who uh, is a great guy, uh, really kind, decided that he wanted to be a full-time professional musician and that he couldn't pursue that while holding down a job. And he had read in the Gospels where God said, you know, um, See how the flowers of the field are clothed, so I will clothe you. You know, how, um, you know uh, God, you know, cares for the sparrows. How much more does he care for you? Y'all, y'all familiar with that so far? And so he said, well, God cares for me. I want to be a musician. So if I quit my job and I move back into my parents, and some of you are groaning, and I move back into my parents and I, you know, just practice watching YouTube videos for eight hours a day, you know, and really work hard at it, I'm going to make it successfully in the business, right? In the biz or whatever you call it. I don't know. I'm not a musician. Um, Did that work? What do you think? Did he make it? Well, his name is Mick Jack. No, I'm kidding. No, he didn't. (laughs) Somebody said that earlier. I thought that was really funny. No, he he didn't make it. He didn't. Um, well, what, what was he doing there? What, what was he doing in this pursuit? Well, first of all, he had skipped the entire book of Proverbs, which talked about the importance of work and saving. He skipped 2 Thessalonians 3.10, which basically says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Yes, that's in Scripture, by the way. He skipped both of those and kind of focused on this idea. He was being presumptive upon God, giving him what he wanted. He was, he was leaping off of a cliff and saying, God, you better catch me. Now, I'm not just trying, one, I haven't told you his name, so I feel in the clear about that, but two, I'm not just trying to pick on him. We all, at times, decide to pursue what we want and just say, God, you better catch up or help me out here because my path is marked and decided. This is what I want to pursue. And we presume that God's going to come by and help us. We're trying to control and lead God instead of being led by him. You ever done that? Yeah, you have. My son does it all the time. You know, he, he, he has this new fun game, which is terrifying to me because our house is tile, where he tries to jump off of our bed and hope, you know, and assume that his dad's always going to be there to catch him. Well, that's a dangerous game because his dad has ADHD and is constantly like this, right? Like at some point, that's not going to go well for him. And I would encourage you all uh, to consider that as you make your plans and you plot your paths and you mark your ways, are you being led by God or are you trying to lead Him around? Finally, verse 13, it didn't work, right? It didn't work. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. There's a couple things I want us to take away from this as we wrap up. Uh, provision, power, security, and safety, those are all good things. Would you all agree with that? 
Those are worthwhile things. Those are things um, that we should desire to have, but none of those are worth your integrity. None of those are worth your relationship with God. Instead, you are to walk the path that He has put in front of you with your head high and your shoulders back and rely that He will care for you on the path that He has marked out for you. And as a note of encouragement, the reason that Jesus was in the wilderness in the first place was more for us than it was for Him. You see, Jesus was and is our champion to fight the battles that we could not fight and to defeat an enemy that you and I did not have the power to defeat. And that's incredibly important. And when I say Jesus is our champion, I mean that in the David and Goliath sense. You know, in the ancient world, when they would send, when armies would come together occasionally, they'd send out two representatives, right? One for each army, and whoever won was the, was the army that, that was victorious. We do the same things in the Olympics, by the way, right? We send out our champions, our representatives, to bear the weight and burden and responsibility of our country, right, and earn medals. You all follow me on that so far? That is primarily what Jesus is doing in His confrontation with Satan. Yes, He's marked out a path. Yes, we are to follow His example, but at the end of the day, He, won, he fought and won the battles that you and I don't have the power to do. And he did that so that we could rely on his strength, so that we could rely on him to make it through our wilderness seasons. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to go out before us, to mark the path for us, to push forward, to fight the fights that we cannot fight. I pray, God, that you would give us the resolve to face what you've put and our paths and what the world has thrown in front of us, to bear the weight and burden of suffering and responsibility, knowing, God, that You are the one who cares for us. I pray that we would not lose heart and that we would not become self-reliant, but in all things that we would lean on You. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.